What's up you guys, this is Eric. Quick disclaimer before this episode, so if you typically just listen to the audio version on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or anything other than Spotify that doesn't give you the video version, I highly recommend you head over to Brendan's YouTube channel or my YouTube channel to check out this episode. Towards the end, Chris is going to show off some really cool stuff, some prototypes, some images that are kind of once in a lifetime opportunities to see. So if you're interested in hearing more than just Brendan and me, be like, dude, that's so awesome, over and over. I recommend that you head over there, check this out so you can see this stuff for yourself. If you're interested in purchasing Rad Plastic, I put a link in the description below. Chris is offering it for 20% off for a limited time right now. You can buy it directly from him off of his website. It's a really awesome book. I can't recommend it enough. Chris, thank you very, very much. We had so much fun doing this. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Welcome to episode 11 of the Party Wagon Podcast, where we talk about all things TMNT, past, present, and future. I'm Brendan from the YouTube channel, Brendan's Rambles. And I'm Eric from the YouTube channel, Know You Grow Up. And today we have a very special guest with us. So today we have Chris Fawcett, author of the book, Rad Plastic. Chris, how are you doing? Hey guys, how are you doing? It's pretty nice doing? down here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh wait, what are we doing this? Okay, here. Yeah, I'll call the book. Yeah, I have one too. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Yeah, mine was my. I got a discount. Yeah, probably. <laughs> you can get your sign, no problem. I'm tight with the author, so yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, Crystal. Why don't you go ahead and just tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Kind of give us your nerd origin, maybe from when what you were into as a kid to your teen years and how you transitioned to being this very popular person in our small bubble here. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, if you want to go back to childhood, I'm a star Wars kid. So okay. star Wars was huge for me. Um, you know, saw all three of the originals in the theaters. I was very young, um, but just went Bambus for the toys. It was literally like after I saw that first movie, there was nothing else I wanted for Christmas, right. birthdays, whatever, except Star Wars toys. Like, forget about it. I don't need anything else. Um, so that was like uh, sort of my intro to, to toy stuff. Um, I was always kind of had a collector's mindset, which is weird because nobody else in my family does. <laughs> I mean, even when I was young, I would collect stamps and coins and rocks and, you know, all the things you can get as a, as a yep. you know, whatever, eight-year-old that, you know, you can collect. <laughs> and so I always kind of had that mentality. Um and then my father actually was in the toy industry. He worked at Little Tykes. He was their first head of engineering at Little Tykes. So his claim to fame is he helped engineer and design the, the Cozy Coop. You know, the yeah. little red Flintstones oh. pedal and ride car. Well, that I had one everywhere. of those like, Every yeah, kid had that. that. Right? So that's his claim to fame. He's actually on Wikipedia. Is like one of the oh, designers nice. of, the, of the Cozy Coop. And a lot of the other things that you've probably seen um, from Little Tykes, the little red sliding board and the little red and yellow picnic table and like yep. the, the turtle, uh, speaking of turtles, the, the turtle, turtle sandbox. Uh, sandbox. Yep. Yes. I just, yeah, that's no, another I never one realized that. Like, that. Everybody like, yeah, had. Turtle connection. This is the first <laughs> time I've made that connection. 
Dang, I wonder if he has a prototype of the big turtle sandbox. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so I kind of grew up in the toy family, right? Because my dad was doing this. They would, he would uh, use me and my brother as test subjects for different things. Um, he would, I remember one, they had this little electric powered ride on um, like train, but it ran on tracks. It's sort of like, you know, the little cars you see kids riding around in today, but it, it ran on a set of railroad tracks. Okay. I remember him bringing that home and he would have us test ride it and all this stuff. Um, so from very early on, I was sort of enmeshed in the, the industry. And then, uh, when I got in high school, I started working for, he, he left little tykes and started his own consulting firm, um, and did a lot of toy industry stuff, uh, there as well. And I worked for that firm from like my junior year of high school through, I don't know, well after college. Um, so did a lot of toy stuff as an engineer at that point for little tykes, some, a company called step two. And uh, also for Fisher Price, we did a lot of work with Fisher Price. So I sort of have my my nerd creds of being a Star Wars, you know, nerd. But then I have my sort of professional creds of being a toy guy as well. Yeah. So and basically, um, you had the coolest childhood. You had the childhood we all wanted. You had the dad that we all wanted. He just came yeah. home and was like, try out these toys and just. There's only them. there's only one thing that I always yell at him for, and I remember this in 1978. He went to interview at Kenner. And they offered him a job, and he would have been working oh. on Star Wars, and he oh. turned it down to go to Little Tykes. I never, I never. Forget. Oh my God! Could you imagine if he got that, to work on that line? Yeah, I can't exactly. even imagine. So, that would be like if my dad worked for Playmates back when Turtles was exactly, out, exactly. Right? I remember that trip because we had we had a, one of those campers that goes in the back of a pickup truck, and we took the whole family there, and we actually went to see Star Wars while we were in Cincinnati after his interview. But he brought back some toys, you know, from his interview for me. I remember there was a Darth Vader case, and I remember the Princess Leia figure that he brought back. And I don't know what else, but none of them were anything like special or anything. It was just some products he got from them when he interviewed. So, yeah. So, but anyway, still, I get to work in the industry, which is really fun. That yeah, that's gotcha. awesome. That's um, because you know, me and me and Eric, we we love toys. We love turtles, but we are still just like you know. We're, we're outside of that world professionally we don't know yeah. what goes on behind the curtain so it's like for us you know we're, we're not at the level you you collect like prototypes and all this awesome stuff like that like we just get the stuff everybody can get so uh i, I just can't imagine what it's like growing up like that i mean as a kid i felt like oh my my dad just works in oil where the hell's the future in that <laughs> but you know like yeah if he's bringing home stuff from work it's not anything you want right <laughs> right my dad brought home stuff from work. I'm like, oh, this is great. <laughs> yeah, no, he's bringing you home Darth Vader and everything. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's pretty yeah, cool. Exactly. Yeah. So, did his work kind of influence what you wanted to do, or just by coincidence did you happen to go into the same thing? Well, you know, he was an engineer, and I, I, I kind of have pretty good math chops. I always did, even as a really young kid. So, um, you know, I decided in high school that was probably what I was going to do in college, and then. When he left Little Tykes, which was, a, I think it was like my sophomore year of high school, and he started his own consulting firm, now he had the ability to say, hey, you want to come in here? I'll teach you engineering. You're still in high school, but I can, I need help. I can't get all the work done I'm getting. And he knew he could, I was smart enough that he could show me how to do, you know, the basic CAD design stuff. And so he did that. And I, I basically worked there part-time through my freshman year of college and then after my freshman year i started working full-time and went to college part-time 
So I was like, like, why am I, why am I trying to rush through college? I'm already got the career here doing engineering. I'm getting real world, real world engineering experience. That's like, that's way better than school. Yeah. So it took me like seven, eight years to get my degree, but well, you know, I was working for the week. choir there. <laughs> yeah. So I have a friend who's, you know, he's into physics. No, not if he hears this, he's not going to listen to this, but if he does, I'm sorry, but you know, he, he's in the physics and he, he has this great job. But he's still going, he's still just, you know, stay sticking around like, oh, let's get this diploma. Let's get this diploma. It's like, dude, you got the job that the diploma gets you. (laughs) Sometimes you just feel like you're in so deep, you got to finish though. I mean, that's how it was for me. Like I I started it and I'm like, I changed majors a million times. And it's just like, I got to finish this. Like I started, I have to finish. So yeah, and and, you know, as long as it helped me get my next job, whatever that was. So yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, my time. There's no hurry. Gotcha. So so then. So then collecting wise as an adult, so I kind of, you know, fell out of it as everybody did when they were kids. Um, you know, I kind of always collected a little bit. I was always into comic books, right from childhood through to college. I collected comic books, uh, mostly all the Star Wars ones that were about, you know, the early Dark, Ho- Dark Horse comics and that kind of stuff. Um, but then I had a, a buddy, I was in a band and um, I had a friend in the band who had a girlfriend that collected Barbie and she got him into collecting toys and his thing was also Star Wars. He was about my age. And so he started talking to me because he knew I was a Star Wars fan. And so I started collecting the old Star Wars toys uh, and trying to like went to my parents' house. They had they didn't throw anything out. I pulled all that stuff nice. out and uh, got it all out, found out what I was missing, started collecting that stuff. And then uh, very quickly moved into prototype stuff. And because I was in Ohio, and Cincinnati's in uh, southwestern Ohio. I was up in Cleveland, Akron area, which is sort of north central. Um, there were, you know, there's a lot of manufacturing and engineering type jobs around there. You know, Fisher Price was just across the border in New York, um, uh, three, four hours away. Little Tykes was right there in northern Ohio where I was, Cincinnati, you know, I was in southeastern Ohio. So a lot of the engineers sort of traveled around through these different companies. Um, across the state or the area where they didn't want to move, you know, across the country. So uh, I was actually working on contract at the Hoover company and bumped into a, um, a guy that was about my age and was like, also a Star Wars fan. And he's like, hey, do, do you know Dave? Because he works down the hall. This way I'm like, no, I don't think I met him. This is maybe a month into this contract work. He's like, yeah, Dave used to work at Kenner. I'm like, really? Okay. Because at this point in time, I'd already sort of started digging for some prototypes and found a few things. Mm-hmm. I was really getting interested into it. And so he's like, yeah, I'll introduce you. And so he walked me down. It's like 10 in the morning, walked me down to Dave's office and uh, introduced me and we sort of hit it off. And I said, yeah, man, I, if you have anything, he was a designer. So he did a lot of like artwork and things like that. And I said, you know, if you got anything cool, you kept, I'd love to see it. He's like, oh, I might have some few things. So fast forward like two hours, right after lunch, he comes walking up to my desk. Like I went home after lunch at lunchtime and I picked something up <laughs> and he opens a box and inside the box is a hand painted hard copy of a 12 inch IG-88 figure. And I, my jaw just hit the floor. I'd never seen anything <laughs> oh like that God. before. <laughs> so that was the uh, beginning of some really good acquisitions, but also a really good friendship that I've maintained to today. Um, we used to, you know, I was there about four years on contract and he was the person I hung out with all the time. He was, we just had the similar mentality, both coming from the toy industry. And, and, um, so yeah, got a, got a good friendship and some really neat stuff from him as well. Nice. So the first prototypes you started searching for, was it star Wars then not turtles? 
Yeah, it was Star Wars. I got, you know, online early and just, I don't know, I gravitated to that stuff. I think the very first thing I bought was a proof card for Han Hoth on like a Empire or a Jedi card. I can't remember which one was the first one. It's, it's right over there somewhere. Um, I still have yeah, it to this day. But yeah, that's the very first prototype I bought. I mean, I, I graduated, you know, a lot of collectors go through these stages. They start with loose and loose complete and they're like oh i want something more they go to the rare loose ones and they're like yep. oh i need something better they go to men on cards and then rare men on cards and like i went through that whole phase in probably less than a year and landed okay. on i'm going for prototype <laughs> <laughs> i just just ramped right up i don't know what it was it's just they excited me more than just the production stuff did i, I can't tell you exactly what in my brain makes that endorphin go more with those but it did and i recognized it so i started doing that and searching for things. And um, this is about probably a year after I started really looking to collect prototypes. I met Dave and, and that whole thing. And then of course he gave me lots of names of all of his friends and people. And I started calling around to those people. And so it's sort of snowballed from there, you know, yeah. I can under I can understand the appeal. Like I said, I'm not a prototype collector myself, but I can understand it because there's something way when you get into all those like paint variants and card back variants and all that stuff and sealed and all that, there's there's still just something extra special about a prototype that those that those the itch from those does not quite get scratched the same way that a prototype would so in the intro of the book you say i believe it's 2017 that you actually got into the turtles you say that you were into star wars mo most of your life that the turtles line you kind of started getting real deep into it in 2017 was that like did you, were you aware of it back in the day? Were you paying attention to it, collecting some of it, but like not too into it? Or were you like completely removed from it and then just had your eyes open? Like, oh my God, what is this thing when you found no, it? No, not completely removed because I did like it as a property. I remember in college, I played that four player, the first four player stand-up game, beat them up a ton. Like yeah. it was in our student center. I would always, after after uh, classes in college were done at three o'clock, I would go home and I would turn on the afternoon cartoons to do my homework too. And that's why I, we were talking earlier before we, we we started this, how I'm into Darkwing Duck. That's how I got into Darkwing Duck. That's how I like the turtles. But I never really collected the line much other than I will say there was a point in, like it must have been right around right around 2000 or so. I was sitting there thinking, like, man, this Star Wars stuff is blowing up. It's getting really expensive. I'm like, what's the next thing going to be? And I'm like, <laughs> I bet you turtles is going to be worth a lot of money someday. Oh, yeah. And I actually started collecting men on card turtles. I did it for about six months and I'm like, what am I doing? I, I don't, Turtles isn't my thing. Let me focus on Star Wars. And I wish I had done that. <laughs> I would have kept going because it was actually a really great idea. Like, you know, yeah. I started like with the early ones. I should have started with the later ones. Like, what are the rare ones? Let me go get those now and just set them aside. But so I did have that small little turtle collecting right around 2000 that lasted for uh, maybe it was a year, probably not quite a year. Um, but then, yeah, nothing really there until fast forward to 2017. In 2000, yeah. that was right after Phantom Menace came out. So that was like when Star Wars stuff was blowing up, like bigger yeah. than ever. So, yeah, the prices of the vintage stuff just went through the roof <laughs> over that short, like two or three year period. Yeah. Uh, and they did it again for Force Awakens as well. They just ramped up a lot. But, um, so I guess I was probably thinking, man, the Star Wars stuff's going so crazy. Why do I want to do these? But at the time, it's like, you know, you know, I'm getting the the first four first card release and they were like $15 and like, I'm sure a scratch would have been like a hundred bucks or something. I don't know. 
Maybe not even. <laughs> yeah, that probably yeah. would have been the best time, honestly, because that was kind of the dark age to where they're like, okay, Turtles might be dead before it got that 2003 reboot. So that yeah. was probably the lowest point as far as being able to get expensive cheap or expensive figures for low prices. Yeah, I kind of kick myself for not keep going with that idea because it was a good idea, but what are you gonna do you win some you lose some i right. got back into recollecting the vintage line in around 2006 2007 and at that time that was post 2003 cartoon obviously it was still running at the time at that time you could get scratch loose for like 300 dollars yeah. Uh, yeah sometimes on ebay so it's like in 2000 he was probably like 50 bucks <laughs> like, yeah and and it's just crazy point. what the prices have done in the last like four years it's yeah. been insane yeah. like oh, i yeah. started in 2017 like a minute on card scratch was like a grand you know, oh, yeah. like, what, six at least. Or seven? Oh, probably, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, yeah, Lucy goes great. for about two now, so. Yeah. I mean, I just, so just before, uh, you know, like a couple hours ago, I was checking my YouTube messages, and there was a comment on, uh, you, uh, Eric, you just did a video on, like, maintenance card collecting versus loose collecting. And, uh, you know, in the comments we were talking about, I have Shogun Shote, and I bought him not even that long ago. I think it was 2017 or 2018. And uh, or probably about 2016, 2017. And I, I got him new in the card for like it, it was under $300. And I opened him. <laughs> and I know some people will want to kill me if they hear that I did that because because then Eric's like, Yeah, you don't want to know what he's worth now. And I just want to eat him. Like, what is he going for these days? People are selling him for two grand on, on yeah. the card back. So it's like, I still, still no regrets. He's so cool out of the package. I, I know yeah, he's a very cool figure. <laughs> And when I, when I was you probably kid, could have found the loose one to buy and had both of them. Well, that, was the, that was the thing. I went with the package one because all the loose ones were missing one of the armor pads on him or something, yeah. or they're missing one sword. And I know as a little kid, I would have wanted to open them up. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it for little Brendan. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how did you get in deep with turtles then like what made you go from just kind of at one point in your life being so so about it to just diving into the deep end being like okay this is the route i want to go i want to get into these prototypes and i want to write a book about it it was a complete accident (laughs) serendipity (laughs) i mean uh you know i've been hunting kenner stuff for two decades and just happened to cross someone that had family members that crossed over you know, from West Coast toy to East Coast toy, which is unusual. You don't see a lot. It's generally the West Coast toy, Mattel uh, out there, obviously, Playmates out there. They generally seem to run in those circles and back and forth between those companies and, and uh, Tomy some too. I think they're like in, I don't know, they're somewhere in the West Iowa or something. I don't remember. Uh, but then you see the West Coast or the, the East Coast guys, which is Hasbro and Kenner and Fisher Price and the sort of the engineers and designers run through those circles. But I just happened to stumble upon somebody who had sort of a foot in both worlds in their family. And that person had some Kenner things, but also had a ridiculous amount of Turtles things. And as I'm just, it was one of those those days where, um, you know, I knew this person had some stuff because I had, I had talked to this person 15 years ago. And it was finally time to sell because there was a, a child getting ready to go to college and was like, well, why don't you come over and take a look now? I, I had a brief look 15 years ago, basically walked around the basement, see all the tubs? Yeah, I'll open one for you. And that was kind of it. I didn't know what was there. And, um, you know, I was obviously hoping for tons of Star Wars. But uh, what I found was a ridiculous amount of turtles. And the more I, I just sort of looked through things, and, you know, it was obviously this one of these treasure 
hunting moments that you will never forget. So there's an emotional attachment that instantly happens there right on the moment, right? Oh my yeah. God, like I've got to keep something from this, just if nothing else is a memento of this day. But the more I started looking at it and, and um, got, you know, brought some stuff home and started digging through it and like identifying it. And what is this? And like, I don't even know what this figure is. He's not in any of the catalog. He's not on any of the websites. What, what the hell is this guy? You know, um, and things like that. And you start going, oh man, as, as you're looking at it and laying out, this is really great. These sculpts are really great, you know, and like the, the paint jobs are really bright and vibrant. And, you know, I was into Star Wars, which I love because of the property, but let's face it, you look at those figures and there's a lot of browns and blacks and greens. Yeah, and yeah. Like, right, they're, they're fairly drab from, yeah. from a color palette standpoint, um, with a few exceptions, especially the earlier ones like Greedo right. <laughs> and <Snaggletooth>, <laughs> right? Like the, the crazy disco colors from the 78 releases. Uh, yeah. But uh, so I just kind of both fell in love with the sculpting and the aesthetics of it and the paint jobs as I was sort of parsing through that collection. Um, and I was like, okay, well, what do I want to keep? And the more I thought about it, I'm like, oh, I'll keep these two. Uh, I like those two too. And then my wife comes down, she's like, I like these, keep those. I'm like, oh, all right, put those on. <laughs> and it's like, eventually it's just like, and I, I knew right then there was enough material right there to do a book. Maybe not as big of a book as I ended up doing, but I was like, there's enough here. And this is pretty cool because people have done tons of books on Star Wars and they all tend to be very niche focused, like Star Wars proof cards, Star Wars, you know, this narrow thing and that narrow thing, Star Wars micro collection. And um, I was like, I could do a comprehensive one for this line. And I think the reason that people didn't do that for Star Wars is because the material is so spread out. It's yeah. hard to, it yeah. very hard to go travel around the country to all these collections and find all these materials and, um, you know, take pictures of very expensive uh, uh, proposition. So, but I'm like, but it's all right here. Like I've got enough right here. Like, why wouldn't I do this? <laughs> and so I'm like, well, if I'm going to do it, I may as well go in whole hog and find more people and get as much stuff as I possibly can for the book. So, so for this um, first round, like how much stuff did you find in this first haul? Oh, it was like, um, well, I went, we went back there and I say we, it's me and my, my fellow um, guys on the, our, uh, our uh, book label, shout out to TKAF right there. Um, <laughs> which stands for something that we're not allowed to tell. It's our secret. Oh, really? <laughs> um, that one makes me want to know. That's, that's on, on, on uh, my book and also plug their book, Engineering and Empire, which is a book about all the, the creators of the counter Star Wars line. So that's a great book too. If any of your listeners awesome. are into Star Wars, I would highly recommend that. You can find it at engineeringandempirebook.com or I'm sure Google will bring it right up. Um, so it's a great book too. Uh, but anyway, me and the three other guys and then my wife too is involved and all this stuff uh we um where was i going with this <laughs> you asked me how much how, stuff how, we how much did you get we, went, we went back we went back three times to that <laughs> that source um that's how much was there it was literally a basement basically imagine a you know a basement in a 1200 square over a, underneath a 1200 square foot or so home 1500 something like that and basically every wall of that basement floor to ceiling was tubs of of um Rubbermaid type tubs of toy stuff. Now a lot of it was just junk, like a bin full of toy horses, you know. But <laughs> and that I, I'm just going off memory, but there was something like 80 hard copies in that. Oh line. wow! Okay, yeah, I like, literally yeah, like three or four. Oh my god! 
I can send you some pictures. I, I posted pictures of a couple of like I took a couple over shots, and there was there was also probably thirty or forty first shots in there, and then hundreds of carded figures as well, and then a few Star Wars things, some some Star Trek stuff, uh, miscellaneous little other things here too, here and there too. So yeah, it was like like I said, it was insane. Like I'd never really been into turtles, and all of a sudden I'm staring at like eighty hard copies. You know, probably I would guess a third of them at least were painted wow. probably oh my god that's the most insane haul i've ever heard of in my life yeah. <laughs> it's like so, that's like finding the holy grail it's like well, that's that, what i was gonna say so i feel like grail is the word that gets misused more than anything when it comes to collecting like i feel like grails are because the grail is one thing and even if there's two or three of them that's a grail where there's literally it's almost one of a yeah. kind and that's what these paint masters are right because I'm assuming they do one for one character and maybe do a couple different paint jobs of them. Like how many would each figure typically get? So they, they would probably make about 10 hard copies. And let me explain that for your viewers, listeners, yeah, um, please. what that is. So uh, the process basically, which is in way in depth in the book, uh, if you want to learn more about the whole toy process. And I will also add the caveat, this is not how they do it today. This is how they did it back in pre-2000 kind of era. Uh, but they'll make a sculpt out of, wax generally um and then that thing is very fragile i mean if you dropped it, it would just blow into a million pieces so they need something uh more durable now that they've got that and they need to kind of like save your work right you don't want to break this thing and have to go sculpt it again so they'll cast that in um a silicone mold which looks like this so this is what is this this is an arm you can see there um so they'll cast it and this is like rubbery Actually, Eric, could you uh, blow up his screen right now? Oh, so that... yeah. I forgot I can do that now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's like a, um, a silicone mold. Um, so th they would this would have had the wax in it at one point in time. And then they, they pour. There's some little ports on the side. You can see they'll pour a hard resin into this mold and let it dry. And what comes out is a basically a copy of the the wax sculpting but it's really hard rigid durable material i mean it's not unbreakable especially thin little parts but it's pretty durable i mean i've dropped pieces on the ground you know on a, my ground in here which is like thin carpet on concrete and <laughs> they don't generally break yeah. um not, not on purpose of course i never dropped on purpose <laughs> but <laughs> occasionally uh and so they would they would use that then for several different things um one of them would be used for the tooling master which they would send maybe one or two of those to the tooling the place is going to do the tooling to cut the tooling off of they use that thing to basically make the steel mold um uh several others one one would be at least one would be a paint master that would also be sent to the factory to show them how they want the paint to look like uh they would have a couple probably painted up for things that would stay with the marketing team for things like packaging photography or to go to toy shows or to salesman samples to maybe take to some big clients like toys r us to show them ahead of time to try and get some pre-orders or judge the, um, the how desirable this particular thing was before they spent all the yeah. money on the tooling. Um, so generally, probably maybe 10 hard copies would be made. You know, that would maybe be a typical order. Out of that, maybe three tops would be painted. Sometimes it might be only one. I mean, if they, if they, if they sculpted it and, you know, if they were going to Toy Fair in a month, they might say, you know what, shoot me three of them. There'd be three hard copies. We're going to paint one. We're going to take it to Toy Fair. And then they get no response at Toy Fair and they cancel the toy. That might be all. There might be oh, one okay. painted and maybe one or two unpainted. 
Um, you know, and sometimes also like the sculptors or the houses would, would make extras, like a sculptor might make one for himself just to keep his memento or the sculpting yeah. house would make one as for, for reference for, so that anytime in the future, if they wanted to use that to like, Hey, we're making another figure that kind of looks like this one we did two years ago. Let's start with that rather than starting from scratch. So they could remold that pour wax in and then like, you know, slice and dice it to get it to be cool. a new figure. So um, they'd often have an archive copy at the sculpting house as well, one or two. So yeah, roughly I would say 10 is sort of on the high side. Of course, there could be a few more. Some of them have way less than that, but that's a, a nice sort of round number with probably average of two being painted. Okay. So compared to like how many test shots would they run like per figure then? Oh yeah, you're not even you're not even turning on the mold machine unless you're gonna run a hundred. Oh, okay, gotcha. So yeah, there's because... way more test shots out there than there would be hard copies of things. And in any other line but Turtles, you'd be absolutely right. Really? Okay. But Turtles is unique. And the reason why is because they did a lot of the manufacturing engineering in at the factories in Asia because Playmates was headquartered in Asia. So yeah. they already knew how to do that, all that manufacturing engineering stuff. So all the sculpting and that sort of the marketing stuff was done in the U.S. But when it came to actually, you know, how's the you know, the arm joint going to fit in and what does that need to look like? And how does the inside of the figure look to make sure it stays together and those kind of engineering type uh, things, those were all done in Asia. So a normal company like Hasbro or Mattel, where the engineering was done here, what would happen is they would, you know, do the tooling, they would order first shots and all hundred of those or however many they ordered would come back here. So the engineer that did that engineering could review it and look at it and make changes and whatever. So you get those first shots coming back to the United States. But with Playmates, because the manufacturing engineering was done over there, there was no reason to send first shots back to the United States. The only reason they did it is like a one-off sample for some reason, or somebody, one of the engineers went over there, might have just decided to bring a couple back with him. But there weren't, unlike Hasbro and Mattel, hundreds of first shots shipped over here. And because of, you know, especially the Playmates was Hong Kong and the real estate was really expensive, you don't store this stuff, and they just didn't really have... The mentality over there of we should keep these things probably 95 yeah. percent of the first shots for ninja turtles were destroyed oh, um, man. <laughs> so they're very they're very hard to come by the first shots and actually okay. are on the price level of like painted hard copies because they're just as rare as the painted hard copies that makes sense so yeah even though at some point in time in the past they were way more prevalent they're they're all gone today so it only matters kind of what's left right in the world that's yeah. such a shame yeah, and that's one of my favorite parts about learning from your book, too, is I always thought a prototype was just one thing. I always thought it was just one pre-production figure. I didn't know there was all these different levels to it, so that was something really cool that I learned. And, and now that I'm thinking about it, it does seem like you have a lot more hard copies in your book than you do prototypes, and I didn't really, or like first shots, and I didn't really think about that. Yeah, yeah, that's why. I mean, basically, the first shots that we did find were most like 95% of them relegated to two big collections. The one I talked to you about and the one other big one um, that we discovered. And other than that, it's been maybe one here, one there, but not a lot of first shots. So I wish I would have kept more. If I had known that back then, I was like, you know, I was coming from Kenner and Star Wars. I'm like, Oh, we'll find more first shots. They're out yeah. there, you know? And I like didn't realize at the time, like they're not out there. I, I should have kept more than I did. I got a couple, but not very many. Yeah, because they're honestly my favorite looking ones because they're always the random colors. And the one that really stuck out to me was the Rocksteady that had the Casey Jones color scheme. <laughs> yeah. Like that yeah. would be my dream prototype to get as a first shot that's completely done in another character's colors like that. Like 
I don't know why that one just really resonated with me. Yeah, that one was a pretty cool one. Yeah, that was a cool one. Yeah. So, you have how many any... different people, collection-wise, did you have to talk to then to put together the rest of your book after your initial findings? Um, I talked to on the phone probably more than a hundred. Okay. Um, visiting in person probably fifty or so. Okay. Um, we did one trip. You know, is mostly out to California. Um, we did many, many trips to California. And actually, I'll plug another publication. My friend um, does this uh, new magazine that just came out called Toy Collector. And it's Collector oh, yeah. with a, with no E at the end. C-O-L-E-C-T-R. Um, and it's like on issue five or something. But anyway, um, one of our my partners, Stephen Ward, wrote a series of, I think it's five articles. I think it's the first five issues. Um, all about our very first L.A. trip. And everything that happened there. So if you want to really sort of get a deep dive into like what it's like to be in that sort of treasure hunting world and mode and what we did, it was like about a week long trip, I think. Um, I picked those up, picked that magazine up and read those articles. It's it's he did a really good job of writing it, too. It's like very it's very uh, gives you the feel for it as well as just telling you what happened. You know, it's like awesome. he very much expresses, you know, the California vibe and what he was thinking and feeling at the time and the emotions that go along with all this stuff. So it's a pretty good article. Um, but anyway, uh, and then, so we went out there a lot. I mean, one of the trips was me and Matt and my wife did two full weeks and we were from El from all the way from San Diego, all the way to Sacramento. Oh, nice. during those two trips and we probably visited 20 25 people during that single two-week trip and like i said there's probably six or seven or eight trips we've done out there so um yeah it's a lot of it's a lot of people that we've talked to and there's still people i can't find you know i'm like man i wish i could find this guy or that guy and i just can't find them so yeah. was everybody pretty much like involved with the creation or is there because i in my head, I just picture like all of the prototype collectors and kind of like this Illuminati where you guys are like in the secret organization where you have all this insider info. So is it a lot of people that worked on this stuff or is it a lot of people that are just diehard collectors that got their hands on this stuff? No, almost, almost, I would say 99% of the stuff in the book is stuff that I sourced from original employees and contractors okay. that worked online. Yeah, there's a few pieces like that Rocksteady we were just talking about that that came from a collector, and I saw he had. I'm like, oh, I got to get a picture of this. There's some, there's a few in there like that, um, but not very many of them. Um, some of the photos uh, from Anaglyph in the back of the book, the Anaglyph section came from some collector friends of mine. That's probably the biggest section that has sort of photos, and you can tell if it's really nice, great photography. That's most likely something that I had in my hands at one point. If it's kind of like here's a Polaroid from 1998, <laughs> like that's probably uh, file photography. You know, either the thing I don't even know if it exists. I just found a picture of it. Uh, or yeah, we, got some, uh, collector. we got some Toy Fair footage in there that's clearly older, but right. then you have a lot of the yeah the actual you know prototypes that you have in here that some of them i'm looking at i'm like this has to be a modern photograph there's no way this well was yeah because i mean it seems like you would have had to have had all those things in your hands because i i can't really other than when they're really old pictures everything looks like i assumed you took those pictures yeah you you can tell just by going through the book if it if it looks like it sort of has a, a picture frame around it you know like i, I tried, told the designer like anything that's like file photography which what i mean by that is basically 
you know, I'd go and you'd find, you know, bins of prototypes and stuff, but then they'd also have folders of stuff. And sometimes there'd be pictures of things, you know, almost all the vehicle stuff you see in the book, for example, is all from file photography. None of that I found or had with one exception. And you can tell by looking in the book, you'll see the one you think, oh, every time I get a phone call, it cuts out. I had to, I had to click over and like, tell my wife, hey, remember I had this interview. Stop calling me. That's <laughs> totally fine. Oh. So anyway. Um, Do you have any... You said you have some some turtles prototypes. I believe I see some in the back right now. Do, do you have any like specific prototypes you'd want to show off? Like any ones you think are like the the coolest I one? I think I see one sitting on top right there that might be a little interesting. Well, why don't you guys take a look and tell me what you want me to pull out? <laughs> I, I, I want to start things off with the uh the one on top there, the Donatello Which, over here or over here? Other side. There on you the go. Right. Yeah. Which one? The Donnie. Uh, the Donnie, the Donnie in the case. The, the, oh, this one. Yeah, I got yeah. goosebumps already, and he hasn't even touched it yet. <laughs> <laughs> See if I can get my face in. I don't know how I'm doing this. There now, we go. That's better. This is, if I'm not mistaken, this is like the first real finished turtle prototype figure, right? Yeah, there, there were two two test sculpts they did early on one was done by barner studios the other one was done by a studio called vap studios out of cincinnati and um they basically just hired two different companies just get two different takes on what a, a turtle could look like um this is the one obviously that they they went with way more than the other one the other one looks really dorky um yeah it, it's not known to exist and there's only like one fuzzy couple fuzzy videos of it um but yeah so this is I, I dubbed it the pitch turtle because it was one they used to pitch the line. That's not something that anybody of playmates ever called it. Um, so this is uh, one of the painted versions. I think I know of three of these painted ones, and there's several unpainted ones that are out there. And my bow staff is a replica because it didn't have it, but um, all right, yeah, that yeah, is so amazing. I mean, girl. that is a grill. That's what, how did you even, how did you stumble upon this one? Well, this one, this one is a. Uh, interesting it was uh, a guy i talked to and visited a couple times and actually we became really great friends and um uh i was uh i think we had yeah i think we had we had I'd gone to his house already this week we were out there a weekend and um we got a few things and <clears throat> came back and then i realized i think um Matt had gotten like a, was it a, a Secret Wars figure prototype of some kind? I think it was, yeah, because Secret Wars was done by Mattel, right? And Superpowers yes, yep. Hasbro. So Secret Wars, because it's West Coast. And, but we found out that the, like, he had two left legs or something like that. So we had the wrong leg. <laughs> and so I had, I texted him. I was like, hey, we, we got, and I knew he, we had, he had two of them there. And we basically pieced out one and we accidentally pieced out the wrong part. So I knew he had the leg. We said to go swap it. So I'm like, hey, like I, I just, um, we just noticed we got the wrong leg here, and he was a bit of a hike from where we were staying. It was like hour and a half. Um, so I was like, can we, you know, can we pop back up there sometime? Maybe tomorrow evening we might have a little bit of time, and we can we can swap this leg out. He goes, yeah, sure, no problem. Yeah, what, whatever. Let me know. I'm free tomorrow night. And he goes, and then he sends me a text. Oh, and by the way, I was digging around the garage. And I just found this, <laughs> and he sends me a picture of that thing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, really? I'm like, 
do you have i have to ask do you have any interest in selling that he's like yeah i'd consider it oh my so I'm like, god i'll be there tomorrow <laughs> so, <laughs> that, yeah, is, um, that is the find of a lifetime it was yeah. it was crazy because it's just like you know wasn't it, it sometimes you kind of know what to, to expect you kind of know they told you a little bit about what they have but there's then there's always things like that's a complete surprise you're like i didn't i didn't know i'd be seeing this today and that's amazing you know so yeah i mean i would never think i would see that thing i think i saw um mark taylor was the sculptor or well so this was varner varner who okay oh taylor did the other ones okay gotcha 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 taylor no, was metal. a designer he did i don't think he did any sculpting he just did design work so okay, he used to yeah. do like draw 2d drawings and stuff like that because i'm pretty sure i watched an ed's retro geek out where he was interviewing him and he had one of the pitch turtles too so I think that's yeah. at least where two of the three in existence are then. So. Oh, he had a painted one? Mark I'm pretty sure he did. Because okay. that was the first time I'd ever seen one in real life. Other than, or I guess that may be a fourth one. I don't know. Because I, I know I know of this one. I know Varner has one. I've heard rumors of one that somehow got sold in, in Japan. And so, oh, yeah. and then there's, if you're telling me Mark Taylor had one, that would be a fourth one. So Okay. There was one in... Uh, Netflix did the Toys That Made Us uh, episode on Turtles about a couple of years ago. And the one they show, if I'm not mistaken, it's painted like Michelangelo, but it ha it's it's Donatello's sculpt with the bow staff, I believe. Yeah, they, all, they only sculpted one character. So yep. They all have the bow staff, but they okay. painted up. They painted them up in all four different colors, but they all have they're all, it's all the same sculpt, same bow staff. So they're all like that. Gotcha. So is that one? That's a hard copy then, I take it? Yeah, this is resin. It's it's a single piece because that's how they a lot of times they do concept pieces, just a one piece. They wouldn't, you know, unlike other hard copies, it, you know, the pins are molded in and the arms can move and everything. That's just a single piece. Gotcha. So do you have any wax prototypes? I, I would assume they're probably yeah. the least common then, right? Because they're so hard to keep together because of what they're made out of. Yeah, a lot of times they would break, um, you know, and... Uh, uh, a lot of times, sometimes the sculptures would would melt down the wax and reuse it for another figure. I mean, that happens. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> That's understandable. Yeah, because it's reusable. So they're like, okay, or or they would take the figure and go, okay, I got this turtle. I need to make this turtle. I need to turn this policeman into a firefighter. Let me just sculpt around top of this one, you know, and so yeah. it disappeared. But, but yeah, um, so I can uh, show you some. So this one's in the book. Oh, oh the mini head pizza face. That's, That's awesome. a legendary one. Yeah. Does That's he have the, the hat too that goes over him or was that not made for this yeah. figure? No way. Yeah, there's the hat. Oh, oh my, my God. God. See, like even the fact that the hat never got squished or anything, like that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, this one was in really good shape. There's been a few of them that I've had to, like the sculptor had to repair. Like they were breaks and I just had them put it, you know, put it back together and like repair it as if it, they would have, you know, been using it to make a new hard copy or something. So, yeah, yeah I got. Uh, that is amazing. This one, I think, is also in the book. Oh, Krang's android body. Oh, he's falling apart. I got to be very careful with these. I drop them <laughs> on bad news. Yeah, I don't want our podcast being responsible. Right. <laughs> Breaking. Don't up. lose that antenna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a new one I got fairly recently. It's a slice and oh, dice shredder. Okay. He looks way wow. better without the action features. He does actually. It's like a really good. It's a really good shredder. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, without the paint job and the action features, he looks really spot on to the Mirage. Shredder, That's exactly where my head went. Yep. Like yeah. if they just gave him all white eyes and just made like the, the the skin on the face real dark, he would be like a perfect Mirage shredder. Right. Here's an interesting one. This is a, this is an early 
an early what they call clay for hot oh, spots. He's a little different. Yeah, actually, quite I actually mean, bit bigger too than the production. I think he looks a little yeah. cooler like this, actually. <laughs> he looks a little sad in the regular release. For this one, he looks like he's he's kind of he looks like a smart ass kind of. Right. Cool. Yeah. So there's there's a few of the ones I have. Those are incredible. Yeah, that's like kind of the pinnacle, right? It's like, I mean, it's it's like it is the original piece of art. It's the thing that the artists, I mean, these artists were astounding. Like there's yeah. it is, you know, any artist you'd say that's in, you know, doing any other kind of you know, more adult art, but I mean, they're amazing that they can sculpt these things and make them look oh, like yeah. that. That's well, the yeah. original. That's the one he, he took his little knife to, you know? So yeah. I really do feel like, yeah, that's sort of the pinnacle of prototypes is when you can get either that or original artwork, like packaging for packaging. It would be the original artwork, right? Yeah. Oh, there was some cool concept artwork in the book of like Dr. L oh, so much. and a lot of, uh, characters that I, I didn't even know like you know i didn't know that that would still exist that sergeant bananas and dr l would still have concept artwork and, yeah. form and stuff and, well at one of the i was telling you about we had basically two major major finds and a bunch of little ones this the second one major one that i didn't talk about we found these folders they were in a they were in a just a like a banker's box in the guy's <laughs> closet and just they started just looking through them, and it's just like, oh wow, oh my god, look at that. Yeah, that's comics, but here's some. Yeah, it's Archie. Uh... What the? <laughs> I mean, just yeah. Just... When I see when I see these concepts, Whoa. ideas that never got made. I'm always oh, like, man, one. I wish they made all these. Characters. That's one of my favorite. I know, characters. like they get they so much the... material for the main line. That's like yeah. Evil Dead too. He's got the chainsaw arm and everything. <laughs> So, on... But there, there was a couple binders here, and at the at the, the the first one I already talked about, the one on the east uh, east coast, there was also some binders of stuff. But you know, it's just like there's like sort of a oh yeah, that was in the not the gorilla that oh, was, but the yeah. the cat April was in the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah the cat oh, April, which they actually sculpted. That's crazy. And the only reason I knew what that sculpt was is because I found these later. <laughs> Because okay. I found the sculpt first. I'm like, this looks kind of like Universal Monsters, I guess. And then I found this. I'm like, oh, well, that's exactly that sculpt. Yep. The thing that's confusing, though, is there is no cat person in the Universal Monsters. So it is a well, bit Wasn't it labeled Werewolf, actually? <laughs> I think it was. Yeah. But there is the movie Cat People by RKO. Yeah. So maybe it was okay. like a, a Cat People reference. Yeah. This is the one I... Oh, yeah. Um, where does it say on here? April is a cat. A couple of these I didn't put in the book. I didn't see that beaver in the book. I don't remember anything. <laughs> you can see he even says here, we'll figure out the costume later. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yes, she's a cat and she doesn't have any clothes on. Right. Might be a little <laughs> much for... Uh... And there, there's the one with the costume. <laughs> I think the artists were having a lot of fun drawing that. Yeah, these are, these are Dooney sketches, these here. Yeah, oh, and literally right here he says topless version <laughs> just in case uh, yeah that, so that toy was that one didn't be, make the book that toy was gonna be for all the the, the kids who were sad that chitara was gone yeah. here's, your, here's your hothead that oh, was amazing wow. yeah i like i really like the idea that they said they were gonna give him breakable like tables and stuff that he could karate chop yeah. in half. Like, that would have been such a cool play feature right yeah there's a bunch of things like that that just never made it for probably for cost reasons. Yeah. I mean, Hothead's already such a beefy figure. He like, they have to, when he was in the package, he was in that crazy pose just yeah. to fit him in. 
So yeah. I can't imagine they could have put tables and all this stuff in there with them. So, yeah. So, so in, out of everybody you talked to, did you ever figure out reasons why maybe like the one that the line or the subline that comes to mind is the Jim Lee, the ones that he drew and they didn't make a Leonardo. And typically it just really always like, I don't know, just drives me nuts when they would do three and not the fourth. Did you ever find out why they would sometimes randomly leave a turtle out of a subline? It, it was generally, uh, I didn't ever ask specifically about anyone, any of them, but generally the answer is always, you know, we didn't have the demand for that line. We took it to Toy Fair, we showed it around. We got enough demand that made it feel like, oh, maybe we should try something here, but not enough to, to you know, maybe we get to cut the budget a little bit. Let's do three out of the four because we're saving 25% of the total cost of doing this, right? And we'll put it out there and, hey, if they go great, you know, we'll make the fourth one eventually. Okay. Um, so I'm 90% sure that they were just budgetary reasons that they would do that. That but makes they, sense why they did it more later in the toy line then. Because you can see something very ambitious like Warriors of the Forgotten Sewer. where like, That was supposed to be like a major subline. Yeah. And uh, even like Raph, we never saw the elf figure. It's like he was meant to exist. Like you have, you know, concept artwork for him in the book. And um that makes sense that they probably they were really ambitious. They made this huge thing, showed off at Toy Fair, and maybe it just got lukewarm, re, you know, responses. So they're like, "All right, let's." Because Turtles was kind of on its way out at that time. So. Yeah, they're like, "Well, let's do some of this, but let's not do all of it." So yeah, it's just a money saving technique. So yeah, yeah. Leonardo. How, how they chose which one, I have no idea. Like, <laughs> well, let's nick the Leo. I don't know. They probably had some some demographics. You know, information knowing that which of the four sold the best and the worst. And I've heard uh, historically Leo and Mike have the most sales. I don't know if that's true, but I've heard Leo and Mike, then Raph, and then Donnie is like by far the lowest. I've yeah. that's what I've heard. Yeah, I don't know. And it could have changed year after year back then. Who knows? Yeah, it probably so. did. Yeah. So, so where you are right now with everything, do you feel like you've kind of exhausted all your resources on this stuff or every once in a while, do you run into somebody else new in the circle where you might be able to get something from, or like, do you feel like you're really going to be able to get a lot more prototypes for your collection at this point? Cause it seems like you would have to have like a significant portion of the ones that are out there almost. Well, I mean, I personally don't have a significant portion. I kept a lot, but we found a, a lot of a lot, you know what I mean? <laughs> so there's a lot that we've, that we've sold and, and, or helped the people who owned it sell sometimes consignments or we bought it and, you know, kept some of it. And, you know, Matt and Steven and Gary, Matt especially kept quite a bit of stuff, Steven a little bit and Gary a little bit. Um, but, you know, there's still, there's still, it's definitely going to slow down. I mean, there's no doubt like that four year period from 2017 to 2021 where I was really doing a ton of research. It was like, I would get new leads, you know, every other week. Um, and then I would be planning trips and like find a new lead and try to work them in and figure out where, like where on the timeline are they even going to fit. And it was like drinking from a fire hose for sure. That has <laughs> definitely slowed down to like a trickle coming out of the fire hose. Yeah. yeah occasionally I do still find, you know, a new lead and, and maybe it's not even playmates. It could be a counter person or a Mattel person or whatever. Um, but definitely slowed down and, but there, there are people that I've contacted that, you know, that I got pictures from the book that didn't want to sell at the time. So I still, you know, try to keep in touch with them and keep friendly in case they ever decide they want to do some, some of the stuff. So yeah, there's still other things out there that I know were out there. I'd love to, you know, get for my own collection, but, 
um, it's definitely slowed down for sure. So it's a lot of this stuff is now in the secondary market. So now you see way more things sort of selling collector to collector than from original sources like it was over the last four years or five years. Gotcha. So I, before we recorded, we started recording, you and I were talking about Earthworm Jim and Darkwing Duck, and you were showing me some of those prototypes. I know we talk turtles mostly on here, but um, how many action figure lines do you go that deep on where you collect a prototype? Oh, really just the three, Star Wars, Darkwing, and Darkwing's a small line, so it doesn't yeah. do much. Uh, Star Wars, Darkwing, and Ninja Turtles. I have a smattering of a few other things like i've got a couple extreme dino pieces that i just thought were incredible pieces of art that i've kept i've got like a few pieces i've kept like i got a batman piece i kept just as sort of a memento of what collection that i you know we found and bought i've got a star trek piece um some random like disney stuff my wife has a whole it's down below you can kind of see it there my wife has a big toy story collection of prototype stuff on these oh, bottom cool. shelves so there's that. Um, it's mostly like uh, McDonald's toy stuff for the most part. But I remember those. Yeah. Cool. yeah. So, but really just the, the three lines are sort of the, the main bulk. And, and Ninja Turtles is probably, as far as number of pieces goes, by far the biggest uh, of the three. So my Star Wars stuff is great, but I don't have nearly the volume of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, dark, like you were saying, Darkwing Duck was such a short line. Technically, that's the closest to being complete of the bunch because you know. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have. I think I have a prototype for every for every unreleased figure in the line, and a prototype for most of the released ones. I couldn't believe you had all all the that those wave two figures that never came out. That that blew my mind when I saw those. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. They're, I love Darkwing Duck. <laughs> you know, as I'm getting older, and like when it's decided, it's like it's time to vacate and let this move on because I'm whatever going into retirement home, like the Darkwing stuff will probably stay with me till the end. <laughs> that show is funny as hell. Yeah, right? it, is, it really is. <laughs> so at this point in the game for you, because you said you pretty much went from basic collecting to high level collecting in a year span. So like, what dragon are you chasing now? Like what, what would get you excited at this point in your collecting career? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's really... I get excited about the hunt, really. It's the acquisition is good and all, but man, it's, it's the adrenaline of that, you know, going into somebody's basement is really that's the like, you know, you want to talk about like why people take drugs or or smoke <laughs> cigarettes or whatever, right? That's the addiction. It's not really having stuff. It's more like so like that's where you know, that's where I just it's a little bit sad because I had, I had like a huge section of my life in like 98 to 2002 or so that I did that a lot with Kenner people, like three, four or five trips a year. And then there was a big lull. And then 2017 to like now has been again, two, three, four trips a year. And now it's slowing down. It's a little bit sad. I'm like, um, but that's really the chase for me. It's really that adrenaline rush of like, you know, Hey, what am I going to see today? Is the guy going to, you know, is it a new person I've never met yet? Who knows what it's going to be? Or is it some guy I've talked to that, you know, found another box in a closet or something like, you know, or even like, Hey, maybe I'll finally get to buy that one piece he's had that he's ever wanted to let go of, you know, things like that. But it's, it's really about like, like that getting in there and like the treasure hunting is like where the, where the adrenaline hits me for sure. 
the, the whole time you were talking there, I just basically painted a new image of who you are in my head. You are toy Indiana Jones. You're going down. I literally, the, have, I literally have a picture of, of Gary with uh, one of those headlights, you know, the lights you strap <laughs> on your head. I think it's, it might be in the back of the book even, but uh, in the behind the scenes section, but like he, like we were in this dark basement and he's like, I'm taking a headlight next time. <laughs> that thing on. I mean, we've been in like, I mean, I, I just, yeah, there's been rat poop and cat piss and <laughs> like been there <laughs> digging through boxes of like, you know, where you come out and your fingers are black because, you know, the dust in there has been 20 years worth and you're in a crawl space, you're in an attic, you know, you're climbing up ladders. I, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, you know, it's not quite as maybe glamorous as <laughs> Indiana Jones. You're movie. not running to Target for but, a quick yeah, there are some, out. There are similarities, yeah. You're, you're going into these underground areas, you're exploring <laughs> these ancient places and finding these amazing artifacts, and you're basically putting them in a museum. So yeah. <laughs> you're preserving history, and that's something that's so cool about collecting <laughs> that stuff and making books like this, and just everything you do is you're not like getting these rare items and then hiding them from the world like you're, you know, like the, the, the treasure pot that the leprechaun has that no one else can get. It's like <laughs> you're you're preserving this history and sharing it with the world and actually teaching us about things we didn't even know about, yeah. about our favorite franchise. Yeah. So it's like... Certainly preserving the history of it is a big thing for me because, you know, you talk to these people and, I mean, there was one guy I talked to I was, I was like, he's like, yeah, I just, you know, I just retired. My, I shut down my office in New York or wherever it was. I think it was in I got the impression it was like in Manhattan, but maybe I, I could be wrong there. But he's like, yeah, it's like, it's like maybe next year, if you want to come out, I called him back the next year. He's like, man, you missed it by a week. I just put everything in my whole office into the dumpster last week. I'm like, oh, oh my God. Oh no, you didn't. Please tell me you didn't. You know, and you, I mean, it's a little easier to hear a story. Like I threw that away 30 years ago, but like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to hear those stories. Like this stuff is just gone. And I'm like, Okay, like, or to see something that's in a box rotting away underneath a house, or you know, where literally there's rat poop on it, and yeah. and like, you know, it's like this stuff needs to be taken care of, and you know, it's in a baggie. You know, can you imagine like one of these sculpts in a baggie? You know? <laughs> that's what's crazy, and all that stuff's in such good condition. And I mean, that, that pitch toy well, that was just sitting in some guy's garage, and he didn't even know about it. Like, that's insane to me. Yeah, yeah, it's, well, it's not always in that great condition. There's oftentimes there's pieces missing. You know, like I said, some of the sculpts needed to be repaired, and it, like limbs were yeah. broken, and they had to be put back together, and things like that. The hard copies tend to be okay because they're so rigid and hard, and they don't they don't degrade at all. They're like yeah. it's like a, it's like a chunk of rock. So, you know, other than maybe little thin parts like a bandana or something being broken or missing, they tend to be pretty good no matter how they're stored. It's just maybe a, a armor or something is missing occasionally. Um, yeah. They tend to be pretty good. The sculpts are a little tougher, but again, the sculpts are fairly easy to repair as long as all the pieces are there. They're easy to, to put back together and make it look real nice. So, yeah, so, you know, the, the, the vehicles were almost all um, file photography, the prototypes of the vehicles. They weren't actually things I had in hand. They were just photographs that the designers or the engineers or whatever had. Uh, so you can tell in the book, the ones with the white borders around them that kind of looks like a photograph is sort of stuck into the book. Those are the file photographies and the ones that are the, the glamoury shots that you can tell are kind of look like they're from a light box. They're from a light box. And those I generally had on hand. I'm curious, actually, because uh, I've always had an obsession with the original painted prototypes that the, the, you know what you saw on the photography on the package because they always looked so much cooler than what you actually got in the package. 
Um, there's some, how many of those did you see? Cause there's beautiful ones. Like that hothead one is amazing. And yeah, um, I mean, like I said, pretty much anything in there that looks like a glamor shot. I had, I had in hand for the most part with a couple exceptions like that rock steady. I never had that one that we talked about. I never had that one in hand, but the rest of them, yeah, I had them, you know, I took those pictures for the most part. That's awesome. They, 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 I saw that high because it has a front and a back shot, and I'm like, he must have actually seen this one in person. So yeah, yeah, that one, that one we had for a little while. I don't know where that ended up. <laughs> so many great pieces, the, you can't even keep track of them all. <laughs> that is yeah. one of the best painting jobs, though, because like like you said in, in the book, like every little scale and bump is painted on him and everything, and yeah, every detail is painted. His spines are painted. Like everything's a different color. He just looks amazing. So is everything behind you a prototype right now? Um, this this is not. Oh, that's a NECA. Is that a NECA April? <laughs> yeah. Um, other than that, yes. Okay. So, like, are those, like, mock-up carded figures behind you then, too? Uh, actually, yeah, this April's just production, so I was wrong. This April's okay. just a production figure. This is just a production figure too okay. i know who your favorite character is right uh yeah i just, I just wanted to collect something uh a character and I, I don't know i just wanted to not do one of the turtles for whatever reason yeah like i'm gonna do april because it was either april or casey and it seemed like there's a lot more stuff for april than there was for casey yeah. like, yeah. be very small so i'm like i want to do one of them i don't want to do a turtle and i want something that has a lot of stuff so like it's either splinter or april pretty much um so yeah these are all yeah that's that's a carded uh, well, you can't hardly see it in the camera there, but that's in the book. There's oh, well, you hard oh, copy yeah. there. And, and this is one of the molds. This is this is interesting. So this is one of the molds that actually has the hard copy still in the mold. Oh wow! Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, it's the Bride of Frankenstein one. Yeah, it's the Bride. Oh, yep, of Frankenstein. that's her hair for sure. Good call. Yeah. So you can see it's never cool. removed. Even these little things, these little lines here that where they um poured the material in are still here those are called sprues well that's where you would i you know i see those on my vintage figures all the time they have the little the little chip part where you can see yep. where they removed that that's so cool that's called a sprue that little sprue. channel that takes it down into the cavity it's called a sprue that's yeah, amazing some, uh, here's some alternate april heads so this is a different sculpt than what they made oh that one's a little uh, creepy <laughs> and here's one other one these are all for the first April. They really struggled with the head, obviously, and they ended up obviously making it. I second. actually think that one might be a little this better. This one's not too bad. This one actually I think is better than the one they made. That's yeah. what yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I think it's better than the one we got, actually. Yeah, and then this is a painted hard copy of the second version. Oh, that looks nice. That's a nice Yeah, head the hand-painted stuff just looks so good. Like, it just yeah. brings a whole different aspect to the mold. Right, yeah. Well, you know, the designers would always, they'd always have to overdo it because they knew that the bean counters would come in and reduce the number of colors or whatever masks that they were allowed to use. And so they'd always overdo it to give the bean counters something to pair back and make them feel like they did their job. Okay. So it was always intentionally known that nothing would ever come out with these glamorous paint jobs that they're doing. So every yeah. time the sculptor wasn't like, oh man, they ruined it again for me. <laughs> Yeah, they generally knew that it would get paired back. I mean, sometimes there are times where they'd go right in and say three colors only. That's all you get. And obviously, this the 
that whoever was painting it, it generally wasn't the sculptors that did the painting. It was paint specialists, but uh, okay. they knew like, if you were told to do it, you kind of had to do it. But if you're like, yeah, paint it what you think, you know, we, you know, kind of looks like this is the sketch and they would obviously embellish it as much as they could to try and um, get as, get the best figure they could get. So the, the paint job I remember being, you know, just judging from when I was a kid looking at the packages, the one that was the most different uh, was Sandstorm. His sash that's going across him, every like inch of it is with different color on the back of the package, just all silver. When you look at the actual figures like that, that's yeah. like, I remember when I saw that, I was thinking like, I can't even tell what I'm looking at in, in the, the prototype picture there, but I don't you know, know the exact one you're talking about right now. <laughs> I don't know if this is the one that's on the packaging or not. Cause I know the one in the book, like his, he had like the sword and oh, the uh, scimitar and stuff was painted. Yeah. Oh, look how cool that looks. Yeah, that looks so much cooler. Wow. That's amazing. I, see, Sandstorm is a cool figure, but I always kind of slept on him because he he, he felt kind of simple. If he had that extra hit of color like that, you look at that. Oh, yeah. That's so cool. So, like, I mean, it is just the, a the nose ring. The nose ring I noticed. That's awesome. Yeah. By the way, did you guys know that the original Bebop figure, I, I never knew this until I saw it. Um, hold on, let me put him back. I saw the just recently a painted hard copy of the Bebop, which I don't, I don't own, but is, is out there. Do you know he has a knee brace? Yeah, yeah. like yeah. a I never ACL tear knee brace, like that college football players wear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, the, on the painted hard copy, that knee brace is painted like silver. Oh, so okay. Painted. Yeah, it's way better. Like, oh, there's a knee brace there. <laughs> <laughs> So when I was a kid, I thought it was a, a dagger. But then when I got older, I realized, oh, it's a knee brace. I think when Super 7 did their yep. version, they did paint it silver, I believe. That's yeah. the first time I realized it was there was because of the Super 7 figure. I didn't even know it existed before that. Yeah, you wouldn't even notice unless you're really looking at that figure. It just looks like pant yeah. legs or something. Yeah. yeah, like I said, I thought it was like a, a dagger stuck through his his pant leg so he could like pull it out and use it. Because I remember as a kid, I was like, why isn't it painted? I want to see what that is, but... I, I used to, you know, look at every inch of those figures. I was obsessed with the detail on those figures. And that was one of the great things about that line is that you could do that as a kid. You could just take one figure, especially like Muckman or something. And you could just spend an hour looking at every detail yeah, on that yeah, guy. Yeah, that one especially. Yeah. Yeah, because the wax sculpt that's in the book and that one, it's even almost more detailed, I think, <laughs> than the, like, I mean, I, I don't know how they ever would have planned on painting that one. Yeah. I think Muckman works not being heavily painted, though, because if everything was painted on him, he wouldn't look like a sludgy pile of muck. He would look like too colorful. There'd be all these colors yeah. and stuff all yeah. over him. So I think it works. Uh, speaking of the book, uh, so let's just talk about the book for a little bit, because mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, uh, the part of Turtles, I think I would consider myself the biggest fan of is the vintage toy line. And there's. Even then, like there's stuff I knew about, like the snot nose uh, gun guy and like the Mister Bad Wrench and stuff. But there is some stuff in this book I didn't know about at all. There's a lot of stuff in this book I didn't know about at all, and it surprised me. Um, the, the the army ant Mega Mutant is awesome. There's, there's plenty of stuff like that. But the one thing I just need to bring up, I don't know if I think it's awesome or I just think it's freaking horrifying, <laughs> is this character known as the face. The face, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who was going to be like, I guess almost like Zordon for the. That's how I saw it too. That's what I saw. But where Zordon is like a holographic face in a tube and like, you know, the Carmen San Diego cartoon, the chief is just like on a screen. This is 
a, a disembodied gigantic head of Pai Mei or someone just like growing out of the wall of the sewer. It's terrifying. It's so it said it was removed because they thought it was too much like a deity or a God, but I think it should be removed because it would have given kids nightmares. <laughs> yeah, it was a weird idea. It didn't get very far. That was a really early. They were trying to sort of flesh out, you know, what was the story going to be and what were the characters going to be and, you know, beyond just the ones that were in the comic at the time. Yeah, and, you know, it sort of demotes Splinter also because Splinter's. All yeah, right. I, I yeah. think they, I think they decided like Splinter wasn't even around then, really, and or or no, no, he was around, but they, they, they were like, I think that was one of the reasons. It's like, why do we need this if we have Splinter? Splinter's sort of like <laughs> the sage. Why do we need another sage-like figure? And yeah, they're like, let's keep Splinter. <clears throat> Yeah, that was probably like of all the things, the behind the scenes stuff I saw in the book. And like I said, there's there's so much, but that was the one that just like stood out to me like a sore thumb. Like, what even is this? <laughs> what were they thinking when they came up? It's described as like a mutated head on the wall. It's like the turtles sleep next to this thing. Like, that's terrifying. So, yeah. Um, but the whole first chapter in the book is a lot about like everything leading up to the toy line, you know? Yeah all yeah. the things they were working out and thinking about and discussing and like, what does this need to be? And like a lot of this stuff there um, in that section came from John Handy, um, who I think was, I don't know if he was on like the toys that made us episode. I think he was, um, but he was one of the, he was the first designer that was on the line at the time. And um, all those sketches in there came from him. So he had a lot of recollections about, you know, what, what they were thinking and, pitching around and all the ideas and concepts and none of it, you know, was like super serious. They were just throwing ideas at the wall and seeing what they liked, what they didn't trying to figure out what would work, what wouldn't getting ideas from, you know, the cartoon maker, um, Fred Wolf, uh, Fred Wolf. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of from those guys. And, you know, from the playmates and obviously from Peter and, um, Eastman and Laird. And so, you know, they tried to figure this all out. So that's what that early stuff is. None of it, I think got even, it was just the process of getting them to what they eventually wanted, you know? Yeah. And what's was super serious at the time. Like, this is where we're going. It was never that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you couldn't have all like the, the, the blood and, you know, vengeance and murdering someone over a loved one and everything. Like you couldn't have that in a kid's toy line. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they essentially, I mean, couldn't even have Raph be Raph. They had to change him up to a sarcastic one instead of the angry hothead all the time too. So. Yeah. So. Another interesting thing from the book was when when I saw the mock-ups for like the carded figures and it was just like stuck to a random sheet of cardboard, like that was just mind-blowing that that is a professional mock-up to me. Like this is going on an official place of business. I've never seen anything like that in anywhere, any prototypes for any line ever other than those. I don't know why they did those. I'm, I'm guessing that it was to test the master carton. That they wanted to, they knew what the size of the card was, but they didn't have any cards that were like that. So, like, well, let's just staple to this and let's put them in the box and see if, like, how they fit together and just to see how big the master card needed to be. That's just a speculation. Yeah. But I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know really know why they did this that way. I've never seen another like that. I mean, it literally just four. looked like something I would do if I was given the task. <laughs> yeah. Well, playmates, I mean, you even write in the book, and I, I've heard before that. You know, they started off doing dolls, doing like baby dolls. And so that's what they were big for. So they were really new to like the action figure world. Right, so, yeah. They were probably just, you know, doing doing it however they thought they could do it. They, they didn't follow how you're supposed to do it. They just did what worked for them. So right. it's a sort of a guerrilla warfare style way of, of 
doing action figures, but I mean, it worked. They were the line from like 1988 to like 1993. So yeah, yeah, they did something right. Yeah. I can't imagine how much they would have grown in that time either going from a small company to being literally the biggest, I mean, toy line at the time, like just even just looking like, so I've seen lists before, but looking at it in the book, like seeing how figures went from 88 to having 10 figures, basically, then night or 89 it upped it and then by the time you get to 91 it's like two pages of figures and accessories <laughs> yeah they, they it, yeah probably 91 92 is probably the peak of it yeah that's maybe, definitely maybe, really... maybe even 90 i don't know 94 may have had more figures than any of the other years there was a lot of stuff in yeah i feel like 91 92 is the peak like post like secret of the ooze that's when like from what i remember like turtle mania was at its peak yeah. in like 91 uh, I think 94 was probably their last call for help. Maybe that's why they yeah. threw a lot yeah. There was a lot in that year, though. And after that, yeah, it really gets thin after 94. Because that's when you start seeing all the cancellations and stuff, which you kind of <laughs> see, like, none at first, and then they start to trickle in, and then it shifts from figures yeah. being produced to figures being canceled much more handedly. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. crazy to think, though, that, I mean, if Mattel – had gotten because you know Mattel they went to Mattel I believe first for turtles yeah they went to they, everywhere I think. yeah if, if any of those Kenner or Mattel took them like so many playmate toys that you know they did Toxic Crusaders they did Star Trek the Next Generation they did Earthworm Jim they did all these toy lines in the 90s they wouldn't have done any of that if they didn't get turtles no. so right. Mattel would have just had a monopoly on like the action figure market right. yeah exactly yeah well if they had done it right who knows but you know Mattel or somebody else could have screwed it up yeah, yeah that's so, true and it wouldn't have been anything it would have been one year and gone like you know yeah. silver hawks or yeah extreme dinos or whatever other line that went like a year or two and died you know they would have started with the face that could have ruined it right off the bat so yeah what if ljn i mean they did thundercats what if they did turtles and nobody liked them and they just right exactly so yeah who knows who knows what would happen it was certainly lightning in a bottle but it also was a culmination of a lot of creative people you know somewhat luck but somewhat skill also just nailing the exact right formula for it you know yeah it was just the perfect storm at the time i feel like it was just the right place the right time and all the right things happening like it i mean Again, it, you can't you can't explain how big it was unless you were there. But I mean, when I was a kid, turtles were everywhere. Like it was just yeah. insanity. Yeah. Well, because you also, I mean, the toy line it was undeniably a step above, like a cut above the other toy lines that were coming out at the time. Like there was just the sculpts were just. We've said this before on the podcast, <laughs> but the sculpts were just like there was just so much more movement and you know, just so much more personality to them. They were just ambitious compared to everything else that was happening yeah, at the time. They were taking risks and just doing things that, like, everything else just kind of looked flat after that, I feel that, like. Like, if yeah, you looked at a Motu figure, it just looked flat compared to a TMNT and figure. The cartoon was kind of like, you know, it had an edge above the other cartoons. It was, like, a little crazier than some of the other cartoons. It was funnier than the other cartoons and also. You just had this toy line that was amazing, this cartoon that was amazing, and then shortly after you got this movie that was amazing. So, it, like everything just happened right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, exactly. I, find, I find it funny that the uh, the prototype uh, doll, the the plush turtle that was uh, shown off to pitch the toy line, was made by the Henson Company. Also, actually. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yep. That's I remember. So, we, we, well, it was made. It was made by a guy that worked for the Henson Company. I don't. I don't okay. think they contracted Henson. I think they contracted this guy as a freelancer. That yeah, I don't, 
I don't know if Jim Henson himself was there sculpting this yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. But I read in your book that you know the you know who was showing it off, he took it to the the locker room, like a sports game for a bunch of kids, and like the kids all loved it. I can't imagine being one of those kids who saw you got a first glimpse into what would be the biggest kids franchise right. for the next decade. Luckily. Yeah. You need to find one of those kids and interview them on the show. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's you're out there. You're welcome on. <laughs> um, so what's the status of your book right now? Cause I actually, I got the second print run. So I got mine off the Kickstarter when you ran that. Have yeah. you done a third print since then? Yeah, I've done a third printing and that will, almost certainly be the last printing okay. um, because the sales have really slowed down and I've got a bunch still and I'll, I'll, I'll have them available for quite some time. Um, so yeah, but it's available right now. And speaking of, I know this is going to come out like, you know, right after I start this, but I'm doing, a, I'm going to do a father's day sale. I do that every year because it seems like a good father's day gift. Cause right. you know, I think mostly it's boys collecting men yeah. now collecting the, these toys. So um, I'm going to do a 20% off sale through basically by the time this comes out it'll already be running and through father's day so if you order early enough you can actually get it in time for father's day so um, right. yeah if any of your viewers don't have the book now's a great time to get it because it'll be 20 percent off for the yeah, absolutely i recommend so when i book. first discovered the first run it had to or when i first discovered the book it had to about been when the first print ran out and i just i was kicking myself i was like man why did i not get that book and when i saw you're putting it up on the kickstarter like I was like, oh, my prayers are being answered. So, yeah, I really appreciate you doing more print runs because, again, like I just – it's just such a great book. I cannot recommend it to you guys enough. And it's it's a lot even different than you think it's going to be. Like it gets into the nitty-gritty. It gets into the really just minutia of everything. And I, I, I can't recommend it enough. It's one of my favorite books I have. Not like I'm a huge literary person, but, yes, I love it. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people ask, like, is it does it show all the figures and all the accessories? And I always tell them, like, this, this isn't a collector's guide. It's not about that. It's not a. It does not show all the figures and all the accessories. And if you're looking for that, there's a couple of great websites. And also, I'll make another plug. I think Pixel Dan is coming out with that yeah. kind of book very yeah, soon. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah, yeah, but this book is art. I call it art and history. Is really what it is. It's um, just um, showing casing the amazing people that worked on the line and the talent they have and um you know the history and things that maybe you didn't know about and you know under these figures and concepts and things that never saw the light of day and things like that so it's really about the history and the art personally i think that you know everyone's different but personally i think that's more interesting not you know not throwing shade at pixel dan like his book's going to be amazing but um i do find (laughs) i do find this more uh interesting though because it's like I already, you can go online and you can find out what all the figures are and what they came with and what their little bio card said. I want to know about the things that I didn't know about that we didn't get. And there's so much in this book. That's like, it's just like story time for a turtles fan. Like you just sat down and you're like, Oh wow. You're just in awe hearing all these stories. And it's not just stories. You're seeing pictures, you're seeing prototypes, you're seeing concept artwork and like crazy stuff like the face and that insane second sewer play set for secret of the ooze they were going to do that was like the size oh, of the yeah. room. all the <laughs> i really love that i found those pictures that thing is like oh my god every picture is going in yeah, <laughs> yeah that was amazing all the unproduced stuff is what really i mean i don't know if it got me excited or kind of like angry that that stuff didn't come out but that's the <laughs> coolest stuff is learning about what could have been or what they were thinking about doing yeah. and didn't do yeah yeah, that's the yeah. stuff that gets me too. That's the kind of my favorite stuff as far as my personal collection goes is the stuff that was never released. I kind of gravitate towards that. 
that that's something I've said on, on here too. And we, you know, we discuss playmates a lot on this channel and uh, what we think playmates should be doing. And that was something I would just love to see them do is just, I know it sounds unrealistic. I know it would be for a niche audience. Not everyone would buy it, but I would love if they just picked back up where they stopped and just started, you know, making some of those figures that were unreleased and continuing yeah. the line and just making more of this line. Cause I mean, it would be niche, but you know, all all of us nerds in our 30s and 40s would buy them. <laughs> I mean, now's the time it's going to work. I, I actually, I'm, I'm, uh, I wouldn't say friends with, but I'm acquaintances with um, the lead marketing guy over there at Playmates. I'm really good friends with one of his good friends, and went gone to dinner with him a couple times. And I actually offered him like, if there's any of these unreleased figures that you guys want to make, I will let you scan my hard copies. Like, <laughs> well, that would be incredible. <laughs> make that. I can help you make that happen. So. <laughs> So far, you know, I haven't taken me up on that. So there's no, <laughs> there's no uh, uh, Wizard Splinter or Mike Knight coming as far uh, as I know. Of course, they could maybe, maybe they can get those uh, scans somewhere else too. Maybe some of the sculptures at some. But uh, yeah, I did offer to help with that if they ever needed it. If that, I had the figure they were looking for. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's what I mean. You're preserving history, man. You're not only are you preserving history. That's like you're making history happen there. You're right. bringing lost history into reality. And, I think it'd be cool if they just did like a just make one line, pick like six figures, and just do unreleased vintage, and just have them be random, like one from Warriors yeah. Cat and Sue or a Team Ninja, you know, Razar with fur, whatever, <laughs> you know, uh, pick six and just like make an unreleased line. I think it would do really well. Yeah, Mattel did that not too long ago. They're pretty expensive, and I think they're PVC figures, but they did it for Street Sharks. They put out three figures yeah. that were never produced, and they did like a minimum quantity run on them. I'm pretty sure, but. Yeah. They did do that, and I mean, I'm assuming they all sold out pretty quickly. Oh, they did, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, also, speaking, cool. speaking of Mattel, I mean, Super Seven was the one who released them, but they released uh, Hero and Eldor from Masters of the Universe. Yeah. I, I got them over there, but they finally released them like the way they were originally going to be released, you know, Hero back metalized and everything like he originally was meant to be. And uh, I would just love to see that for the turtles because if we got even just one, if we got one unreleased yeah. figure, I'd, I'd buy that thing in a heartbeat, so yeah. Absolutely. Um, so the reason we kind of like ran into you and started talking to you is because you corrected us about something that we've been talking about. Um, so I, I was always very confused about the rights to turtles things like who owned what. And you let us know that Viacom pretty much owns everything, right? So all designs, everything is actually owned by Viacom. Even if it's Playmates, they don't actually have the rights to any of this stuff. No, that's a misconception. Like somehow that. The guy that you know made the sketch for the comp for the figure owns the rights to that figure. Like the guy who drew Doctor L owns Doctor L, or the sculptor who sculpted Doctor L. Oh no, They're, those are all work for hire. They were they were doing that under contract through the owner of the IP, which at the time was Mirage. So Mirage owned all that IP back in the day, and then when Laird sold it to Nickelodeon, now Nickelodeon owns it all. Yeah, so if. If Nick wanted to tell Playmates you're not making another turtle figure again, they're perfectly in their rights to do that if they wanted to. Oh, wow. Interesting. You know, okay. I don't think they would, but because um, Playmates has been such a huge part of that history. But, you know, they, they could do that anytime. They own everything. Okay. So, so like, mm -hmm. what kind of, I mean, I don't know, know if you know this, but, like, what kind of contract are they on with them? Or they, do they just technically have, like, first dibs? Is it just that, like, easy for them? Or is it an actual agreement that they're in then? I'm sure there's some agreements. I don't know any of the details of any okay. of that. Um, usually in the toy industries, they try to segment things out. So like 
and I don't know if Nickelodeon does this or not, but typically what it would be is, okay, you guys are allowed to make toys in this scale or this particular market. You're allowed to make toys for the child market. You know, you're allowed to make the toys for the adult collector in six inch scale. You're allowed to make, you know, plastic. You're allowed to make resin statues. You're, you know, that's usually how they do it because they don't want cross competing, like two companies both coming out with their own resin statues. Like that's not really good for anybody. So generally there's some demarcation lines between the licensees. Um, I don't have any knowledge of what those lines are, particularly between Super 7 and Playmates and and uh, NECA and Loyal Subjects or any of those. But there's probably are some some sort of lanes that they have to all swim in. Okay. Gotcha, yeah. Is there any other misconceptions out there that you see people commonly talking about that you have a little bit more information on that you could clear up? Um. I know there are some. I can't think of. I can't yeah, think that's of, fine. Off I just the top of my head right now. But yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of misconceptions around, like the toy process and prototypes. I see that a lot. People just not understanding how the whole process works, and you know, like calling things the wrong things happens a lot. Like, um, but just like. I don't know. I mean, like one example is like, oh man, like any, how do you know all these hard copies are real? Anybody could just take a figure and mold it and make one. I'm like, no, you don't understand. They couldn't because first of all, the hard copies are like 4% larger than the production figures. Okay. Secondly, every stage of the process, you lose detail, including when you're making a copy of that production figure. So if you literally took a production figure and cast it and made it out of resin and put it next to a hard copy, there would be no unmistaking the difference between the two. Yeah, because it would be the least ta- detailed version it'd of that. It would be the least, it would be, the details would be all mushy. There'd be no sharp lines. It'd be shorter than the than the hard copy by, you know, whatever, a quarter inch or something. Yep. It's like, yeah, you just, you don't understand what you're talking about when you say things <laughs> like that. It's like, you can't, you're not going to make a fake one of these that easily. Um, so... Can it be done? Yes, especially if you have access to the hard copy itself and you want to recast the hard copy. Like that is like the only way you could really come across as a fake. But then even then, the resins are different. Like the resins they used in the 90s are different than the resins today. You can tell it in the colors. You can tell it in the weights. Like you put two of the same figure side by side and weight them both. They wouldn't weigh the same, but two from the 90s would both weigh the same. Like there's there's, there's ways to tell. I mean, and so there's, I think that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions that a lot of people have. It's like, Oh, that's like, I mean, I've literally heard people say, man, 90% of the stuff that's out there is all fake. I'm like, like, I literally have photos of us digging in people's basements <laughs> and three other witnesses that were there. Like, and, and then all the other experts from the other lines can look at it and go, yeah, that looks legit. Like it, it, everything's right about it, you know, even though they weren't there when we discovered it. But like, I hear that not a lot, but enough. And I don't know where that comes from exactly. Um, people but, online uh, love calling things fake. What's that? Right. People online just love calling things fake. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> no, I guess because it makes them look more knowledgeable. They don't have to yeah. say anything, but it makes them look knowledgeable. So. Yeah, it's like, you know, I, I have to always go back to, uh, yeah, I was a toy engineer for 15 years. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if anyone's going to know, it's going to be you. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, and, and yeah. after those 15 years, I did all this stuff with, you know, researching this stuff uh, from my collecting as well. So it's like I got both sides. I got the collector side of me and all that knowledge and then the engineering as well. And so it's like, you know, uh, but, you know, there are fakes out there. So you got to be careful for sure. I mean, yeah. I've even been fooled a couple times with Star Wars stuff that, came from a source that 
supposedly was trustworthy and ended up not being so yes you have to be very careful just like anything you collect i mean even scratch figures are getting like there's some fakes out there that are so freaking close to the real ones i just scares me (laughs) people are going to get scammed but like anything know your stuff contact the experts and you know generally speaking you'll be safe yeah i've seen for scratch in particular a lot of people selling reproductions of his accessories Mm -hmm. and they just make them out of like but it's like it's yeah it's yellow plastic but it's not the same plastic they used in the 90s yeah. and all that so right it's like a little it's a little drier it's a little like less shiny and stuff so yeah oh, the other thing I, another thing all the times how do you know these aren't 3d printed <laughs> like what i don't think you've ever really seen a 3d print <laughs> there's a huge difference between resin casting yeah. I mean, imagine like you've seen resin castings like those statues you get like of marvel superheroes are right yeah those things are like rocks they're heavy it's like yeah yeah, 3D print. If you've ever held your hand, it's like light, like lighter than your. Yeah, you can very light density. Yeah, plastic, like, very yeah. light. Yeah, right. you can, like, you if, you're, can. if you're thinking, how do you know these are different from 3D print? Then I don't think you've seen, you've ever seen really a prototype in your hand, and you've probably never seen a 3D print in your hand because they're very easy to tell apart. So that's another one I get a lot. It's like I think people have this misconception. People that aren't in a technical field where they deal with 3D printing all the time. And, or even hobby uh, hobbyists where they deal with it all the time. They have this misconception that 3D printing is like the Star Trek thing, where you just, you know, <laughs> you know, make me a scratch hard copy. There it is. It's like it's not. It's not like that. That's not how 3D printing works. You can't just print anything under the sun. You can't say print me a light bulb and it prints you a light bulb. Like that's not how it works. <laughs> you know. So I think you know it's nothing against that. I'm not calling you know people stupid or anything. It's just if you don't have experience, and you don't have experience, and you don't yeah. you don't know what you don't know. So. You're not calling people stupid, but you're saying that is definitely a stupid thing to say. <laughs> I'm just saying they don't they don't have the knowledge. And, and when you don't have knowledge, it's like, what's the saying? It's like better to not speak. And I forget what it is. I think it's a Mark better, quote. better to not say anything stupid. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we'll just keep saying stupid things and hopefully intelligent people like you can correct us when that happens. Oh, so. uh, don't, don't, don't worry. I'll say some stupid stuff too. I'm sure. <laughs> well, we, we've been corrected on a lot of stupid stuff we said because we're just two guys who just love it. Exactly. We, we're by no means scholars like you are. So, yeah. Well, you know, a lot of this stuff just, you know, I've got. 30 years in toys stuff now yeah. you know, under my belt between career and collecting. So you gain a lot of knowledge over that time. And um, I, I think the best thing to do is to, to share that as much as possible. Cause that helps people to, to learn and not get scammed by things and to, you know, appreciate uh, different parts of the process more that they didn't know about, or just have knowledge of how these things are done just for curiosity's sake. So, um, you know, I'm really, glad to be able to keep that out there in the world and you know help people to understand it so i'm always open like literally if there's something we said in this podcast that you want more information about send me a pm on facebook i'm happy to chat with like anybody yeah i really appreciate that too because again when i first reached out to you i was just taking a shot in the dark seeing if you wanted to come on here and i was honestly surprised when you said yes so i mean that's really awesome that you do make yourself available to the community because again you are an asset like you have added something to the turtles community you're not someone that is just here you have made it a better place so i mean i just really thank you for that and like i really appreciate you helping everybody out yeah thanks i appreciate that that's a very nice compliment and uh you can go ahead and leave your your facebook your twitters and people want to find you anything else you want to plug yeah uh well the book redplastic.com like i said through father's day there'll be a 20 percent off sale so get that um if you're in not in North America, I would suggest 
trying, look at some booksellers like uh, Book Depository is selling them out of Europe. Might be a little cheaper shipping than getting it from me. Um, maybe Amazon UK might have it up there now. Um, that the sale won't be there. So, I mean, maybe with the sale and shipping, maybe it's still better to get it through me with the sale on. But, uh, um, and uh, so we have a group called TMT Pro TMNT Prototype Collectors on Facebook. That's a great group to join if you're interested in learning more about this stuff or even starting collecting yourself. I would say probably 90% of the prototype stuff that changes hands collector to collector ends up being posted in that group first. Really? So if you if you were interested in buying it, um, stuff like that, go there. Contact me. I still have some stuff available that I've had for a little while for sale. So if you're interested in starting a prototype collection, I've got things from $25 to you know $2,500. So um there's literally something for everybody a lot of people that's that's another misconception a lot of people think oh this prototype it's just so expensive and like there's things you can get that are cheap you know i've got like photography slide transparencies from the packaging photo shoots like 20 bucks like for some of these it's like yeah it's a little thing but it's some place to start and it's, and it's cool to say like this is the actual slide the photographer took yeah. the photo shoot for you know whatever this Raphael figure that i love yeah. so much like it's it's kind of cool and some of them are even the actual exact match to the packaging so it's like this oh, is wow. the slide from you know the back of the box That's so awesome. th there's there's a whole range of stuff if you've got 25 dollars spend or 100 or 500 or a thousand like it, it it's just like regular collecting there are cheap things and there are expensive things um so uh if it's something that interests people i'd say just just jump in small you know it's a good place to start yeah. so anyway uh that group is a great place to to go um i would highly recommend following geeks antiques on instagram i have an instagram but that's matt george's account and he posts way more stuff than i do um especially the ninja turtle stuff you can follow me too i'm chris.fawcett but geeks antiques is is like the place on instagram where our little group of of writers researchers really i think have a bigger presence so i would suggest that there um and yes and you know you can, you can find me on on facebook by going to the um TMT, TMNT prototype group, and I'm an admin there. So if you want to contact me directly or send me an email off of radplastic.com, those are the places to find me. Oh, or if you're coming to Charlotte, hit me up. Come visit. <laughs> we're going to go get a pizza with you. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go get a pizza. Okay. <laughs> uh, last thing I have to say um, we're the Party Wagon podcast, obviously. Gotta love the design. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Kudos to my designer, Chance Sanderson. Completely his idea. We oh, were struggling yeah. with the book cover, and when he came up with that, and I and I always wanted to make the book square, so it was yeah, always yeah. square. I wanted the wide for the pictures, and when he came up with that, I'm like, oh my god, that is perfect. Nailed it. The front of it's square, the van square. You <laughs> nailed it, dude. I'm like, we're done. We're done talking about the cover. And the same thing with the <laughs> with the title of the book. My friend um, came up with that title, Red and uh, it was just like. Yeah, I was going through a bunch of different titles, and he said that. I'm like, I'm done. That's it. Like, there's no question. I'm not bringing in a list and picking out what's the best one out of these three. I'm like, nope, that's it. Done. Yeah. The title. So. Heck yeah. Well, it was awesome having you on. Awesome talking. Yeah, thanks. Greatly, greatly appreciated. If you ever want to come on again, you are always more than welcome. Yeah, if you guys ever have something you want to talk about, just yeah, I'm happy to do it anytime. So if we want to do, you know, next year do something different, or if you want to talk uh, business side of the toy industry again, or for some reason oh, like sure. something comes happen or happens, just yeah, just let me know. For sure, we'll do a whole episode on Darkwing Duck, right? <laughs> I'm there for Ninja Turtles podcast, Darkwing Duck. <laughs> yeah, Darkwing Duck. Somebody's got to do it. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, someone's got to get dangerous. <laughs> all right, all thank right, you. That's all we got for you guys then. So, yep. Yep, take it easy and we'll catch you later. Bye. Peace. Bye.